purge night in Ukraine as dozens of top officials resign or fired sports cars, mansions, luxury vehicles as the people are suffering. Folks, we have a huge story today. And is there an Antifa member down in Atlanta in that treehouse Atlanta? that's tied to the CCP, we'll get into all of it. But first, make sure that you are signed up for the POSO Daily Brief. That's humanevents.com slash POSO, humanevents.com slash POSO. You simply go there and you will be able to read what I read when I do show prep every single day. You get one email delivered to you a day with all the stories that I use to put together this show and the, even the stories that I don't necessarily get to because of time constraints. Humanevents.com slash POSO. Let's get into it. obvious that American business can become the locomotive that will once again push forward global economic growth. We have already managed to attract attention and have cooperation with such giants of the international financial and investment world as BlackRock, JP Morgan and Golden Sachs, such American brands as Starling or Westinghouse have already become part of our Ukrainian way. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today is January 24th, 2023, Anno Domini. Folks, last night was purge night in Kiev. Why? And Zero Hedge has the headline, Ukraine was rocked by a massive corruption scandal, the largest since the Russo-Ukrainian war began. Wave of top officials resign. Sports cars, mansions, luxury vacations as people suffered. And apparently there was also an egg swindle involved in all of this. What was the egg swindle? Well, the egg swindle was apparently members of the Ukrainian government were procuring eggs at a low cost, but then charging the government a much higher cost for it and pocketing the difference. So we're seeing so far a top presidential advisor to Zelensky, four deputy ministers among those two defense officials, along with five regional governors have all either resigned or been fired. We're also possibly hearing arrests. This is mismanagement of AIDS funds for purchased food, embezzlement, driving expensive cars, while of course the common people suffer under wartime conditions. Now, I'm gonna go out and say something right now, because when I went to Ukraine, when we did this program, Human Events Daily, from the back of an old Soviet train, the night train to Odessa, what did we talk about? I said, the media wants you to take sides. Are you pro-Russia or are you pro-Ukraine? Are you pro-Russia, are you pro-Ukraine? Which side are you for? Pick a side, Poso. You need to be on one side. And I said, look, my side is obviously I don't want there to be war. But at the same time, my side is always going to be the side of the people. And I'm going to call out anybody who stands in the way of peace. Because there are good people that are caught in the middle of this thing who don't deserve this. They never deserve this. I've got family that lives in this region. I've got family that's lived through the horrific warfare of Eastern Europe many times. The winners in this are always false winners because 
okay, you put up a flag, you say you won, but how many people had to die? How many families were destroyed in the fighting? How many children lost their lives? How many atrocities went on? While the politicians and the elites are running around buying luxury cars, going on vacations. One of them, by the way, was the deputy prosecutor general who's just been fired. Not the first time Ukraine has fired a prosecutor general because we all remember none other than President Biden himself bragged about getting a prosecutor fired in Ukraine. Why? Because he was investigating the individual that Hunter Biden was associated with when it came to Burisma. It's amazing how you can't even talk about Burisma anymore. It's like, even, uh, you know, even on the right, people are, are, you know, kind of don't talk about it as if it's, as if it's like some totally separate thing. No, it's not a separate thing. The entire thing has been connected all the way to the top, all the way from the start. Victor Pinchuk was the number one donor to the Clinton Foundation. Burisma was paying the Biden family. We know this. We've known this the whole time. This has been an oligarch fight. The best way to look at this is an oligarch fight with people caught in the middle, horrifically caught in the middle. And by the way, folks, if you think what they've been doing with your American tax dollars is bad, just in terms of buying cars, grifting for food, if you think it's bad what they did with the eggs, wait till you find out what they've been doing with the guns. Wait till you find out what they've been doing with the arms that have been sent to Ukraine, the missiles that have been sent to Ukraine. This stuff goes missing before it even arrives at the front lines. They're selling it off to gangs in Kiev. They're selling it off to anybody who's got the money to pay for it because the money's flowing, the guns are flowing, the arms are flowing. And who gets released from jail? Victor Bout, the world's number one arms dealer, or should I say, as we learned from Lord of War, from the great Andrew Nichol, who if you, if you watched our special with Norbin Laden, we were just chatting about him. Victor Bout's only the number two arms dealer. The number one arms dealer is the President of the United States. And so what else is going on in this region? Because it's so nice. Oh, we hear that Estonia, which is a NATO member, wants to shut down the Gulf of Finland for Russian vessels. Now, Estonia is right across from Helsinki, Finland. However, Finland is not a NATO member. So what are we to make of this? If we can, folks, producers, let's get a map break to show everyone the Gulf of Finland and this area. So if Finland were to try to attempt to obstruct the port of St. Petersburg, formerly known as Leningrad during the Soviet Union, from access through the Baltic into the Atlantic Ocean. Those are international waters. Here's a quick question. Do you think that the Russian Navy might, I don't know, just maybe, maybe respond if you were to try to shut down this stretch of a maritime strategic choke point? And we talk a lot about on this. I'm a prior Navy officer, right? So we talk a lot about on this show about the strategic choke points, the Taiwan Strait, the Strait of Malacca, Gulf of Suez, Panama Canal. Well, guess what? The Gulf of Finland for Russia 
is their strategic choke point because that's why they can't. That's the only way they can get out of St. Petersburg with their northern fleet. That's why the Black Sea is so important to them. That's why Crimea is so important to them. That right. You just keep going with this. What's their access to the Mediterranean, by the way? Syria. That's why Syria is so important to them. And who is in charge in Syria being uh, giving them access to their basing rights there? If they attempt to do this, you would start World War Three. But, you know, it's not like there's been any other kind of of military action in the Baltic Sea lately. I mean, well, you know, of course, Russia has their pipeline that they built to Germany there. And nothing ever happened to that pipeline. It's not like that was mysteriously blown up in a terrorist act that nobody could ever investigate or find out who was behind it because, oh, wait, no, no, wait, that actually did happen. And we're not allowed to investigate it. And now they're saying they want to shut down the entire Gulf of Finland so that no one can investigate what happened to the Nord Stream pipelines and who blew them up. Funny how that works. First of all, color revolutions have nothing to do with race. The term was coined in the early 2000s when countries like the Republic of Georgia and Ukraine had spontaneous, peaceful, democratic revolutions that had colorful nicknames. In 2003, the Georgian opposition protested the opening of a new session of parliament based on fraudulent election results. They did it while carrying roses. Hence, the Rose Revolution. In 2004 and 2005, Ukrainians protested their own rigged election. Candidate Viktor Yushchenko's campaign branding was orange, hence the Orange Revolution. You get the idea. Color revolutions have earned a bad rap, though, mostly thanks to Vladimir Putin, because they brought in democratically-minded governments that threatened Russian influence in the region. Putin likes to suggest they are CIA-organized. That is not true. Believe it or not, sometimes people get fed up with having their voices silenced for decades. So, Nina Yankovic, don't we love Nina? We do love Nina. Nina, I hope you're doing well, as Darren Beatty and I said. We're your biggest fans, your biggest fans of the Moaning Myrtles. Of course, for the you guys who don't know, the Moaning Myrtles, go pick up their latest compact disc uh, or potentially LP. I hope they have an LP coming out soon. I don't know if they're going on tour because Nina Yankovic doesn't have anything else to do because she apparently she isn't working for the federal government anymore because the Department of Homeland Security fired her after somebody, I forget who that was, blew up the disinformation governments board that she was supposed to be leading, she was leading, until, oh right, that was me. So so Nina, I really hope that you're having a great time enjoying The Moaning Myrtles. Of course, The Moaning Myrtles is her Harry Potter band uh, that she that she created with her friend, and they're running the whole thing from you know from their house. They're quite successful. They're on you know uh, there's there's like accounts you can follow it. It's it's really really interesting. We love The Moaning Myrtles and we love Nina very very much. So, but I want to get into this question of color revolutions and domestic color revolutions. Because see, here's the thing. We said here a couple of days ago that 2020 essentially was a domestic color revolution within the United States. And now apparently we've actually got data that's backing it up. But Nina's very upset about this because she says a color revolution could never happen in the United States, never, ever. Well, it was a BLM color revolution. It wasn't the Rose Revolution. It was the BLM cover, color revolution or just the BLM revolution. And Nina says, well, that's not possible. It could never happen here in the United States. Never, ever. Let me tell you something. 
When Nina Yankovic is saying that something isn't happening, you can take that to the bank, ladies and gentlemen, because it's definitely happening. Red alert. Whenever she goes on TV and something says something is not happening, it's like John Brennan. When he comes out on TV and says something is false, 100% true. When Nina Yankovic comes on TV and says something isn't happening, it's 100% happening. But what is the report? In a joint paper from King's College of London and the Yale School of Management, as well as the London School of Economics, LSE, that being said, London School of Economics, total diploma mill. Uh, if you see that on somebody's resume, just you just kind of know, like LSE, not so much. Um, whether to protest the effect of Black Lives Matter protests on the 2020 election. Abstract. Do mass mobilizations bring about social change? The paper motiv- uh, investigates the impact of the BLM protests that erupted after George Floyd's death on the 2020 election, using local precipitation as an exogenous source of protest variation. We do- I'm sorry, I have to do this in 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 uh, in in academic voice. We document a marked shift in support for the Democratic candidate in counties that experienced more protesting activity. We use a spatial two-stage less squares estimator and show that conventional TSLS estimators overestimate this effect size by a factor of three. Ancillary analyses show that the effect cannot be explained by changes in turnout. Instead, protests shifted people's attitudes. Of about racial disparities. I have an alternate explanation. Could it be, just going out on a limb here, could it be that places that experienced mob violence felt threatened by the angry mobs that were marching in their cities, towns, communities, and suburbs every night and decided to give in to the mob's demands because they were scared for the lives of their children. They were scared for the lives of their families. That's obviously what happened in many places. But the BLM revolution, that's where we're going with folks. We're going with BLM revolution. Strap in. The BLM revolution, if you notice, was designed to coincide with the lockdowns, COVID-19, all the propaganda that was being pushed throughout that year. You can't separate them. The people of this country were put through a PSYOP within a PSYOP in 2020. The color revolution, you might even have to call it the BLM COVID revolution because it's actually kind of both. The CCP virus. Why do we call it that? Because they're the ones who designed it. Do you remember when you were told that you had to stay inside your homes, that you couldn't go to church? You couldn't bring your children to church. You had to watch church on TV. But these people were allowed to march in the streets, were allowed to set fire to our cities, were allowed to smash buildings in the town of Kenosha. They were allowed to burn down everything. And the National Guard wasn't called in. And a 17-year-old boy named Kyle Rittenhouse tried to do the right thing. Tried to defend his town. You saw what happened there. We were put through a domestic color revolution. And the data shows directly 
Now, they have different explanations for it, but the data shows directly that areas that experienced the most, what do they call, protest activity. Remember, the mostly peaceful protest activity. And I hope, by the way, though there's some images and videos that we can show of the mostly peaceful protests that happened in 2020, which were the largest riots in American history. The two-pronged approach was this, the George Floyd riots amid the COVID lockdowns. When you put that level of social pressure on a society, you break it. The masters of our society, what do you want to call them? The regime, the elites, the permanent state, the administrative state, whatever you want to call it. They released these forces, they released these energies to punish us. And they said, all of this will stop if you vote for our preferred candidate and you don't ask too many questions about the integrity of our elections. And voila, a regime was installed. The same regime that it looks like they're trying to push out and replace. Tonight, an unprecedented warning from the world's top intelligence agencies. In their first ever joint speech, FBI Director Chris Wray and his British counterpart, MI5 Director Ken McCollum, underscored what they say are growing threats, spying, hacking, and other covert activity from China. We consistently see that it's the Chinese government that poses the biggest long-term threat to our economic and national security. The widespread Western assumption that growing prosperity within China and increasing connectivity with the West would automatically lead to greater political freedom has, I'm afraid, been shown to be plain wrong. So we've been talking about Treehouse Antifa for a long time, and we've been explaining for all of you what's going on down in Atlanta. But there's an interesting wrinkle on one of the arrested rioters down there, one of the militants who was involved in this thing. And her name is Teresa Shen Yue. Teresa Shen Yue. She's a member of these Treehouse Antifa. She worked at CNN. And her father is a CCP-tied pharmaceutical tycoon. We've got this reporting from the Post Millennial that her father is a New Jersey-based CCP pharma tycoon. His name is James Shen, and he is the publisher of Wycon, a New Jersey-based Chinese media company that owns Pharma China. In his bio, he claimed to come from a family with generations of ties with the pharmaceutical industry in China. He also described himself as a strategist, advisor, and publisher who specializes in Chinese healthcare. Her mother, uh, named Shen Xiaohua, was one of the first group of university scholarship students sent by Chinese government, the CCP, to study in the UK at Exeter University. She calls herself a global diversity expert. So this is actually hilarious to me. This is actually hilarious, but I'll explain why. Because uh, you've got people who literally lived through the Cultural Revolution. Then they come to the U.S., where in China, they've gotten rid, they've totally gotten away from the Cultural Revolution stuff. They're not doing that anymore. But then they come to the U.S., who's undergoing our own sort of low-level Cultural Revolution. We just talked about the Color Revolution of 2020. And their daughter becomes a quasi-red guard but not in China, here in the United States. So you survived Mao's cultural revolution, 
just to come to the U.S. and have your daughter's mind totally twisted by the globalist American empire, by the regime. And now she's become a cultural revolutionary <laughs> of her own. I wonder if she, I wonder if, if, if the, if the irony is even understood by the family here, that your daughter has essentially become one of the red guards and go back to our China file series. So what you're seeing now is as I've talked about for years, that the Antifa recruitment and radicalization track follows a very similar timeline, a very similar pathway to the Red Guards in China. Well, here we've got a direct connection from the CCP to a member of Antifa who has ties to people that lived through the Chinese Cultural Revolution. So you've got an actual almost Red Guard. I wonder, I would love to interview this person. I would honestly, I love, see, here's the thing with the difference between me and I think a lot of other people is, you know, even, even in that, you know, what do we call them? Conservative pundits or whatever. Um, and no, I'm not going to be getting into the Crowder Daily Wire thing here on the show, but that being, but oh, suffice to say, don't take people in the course of normal business. It's kind of simple as that. And definitely don't release that to the media. Uh, but as far as, you know, taking sides, it's like, whatever, just work it out, guys. The point here is. You know, I could sit here all day and say, oh, look at these, you know, like Sean Hannity be like, ah, look at these liberals. These liberals are crazy and they're liberal. They're not conservative. We're conservative. We're conservative. We're the best conservatives. None of these liberals are conservative at all. In fact, they're liberal. Right. And that's Sean Hannity's show. And he does that every day. But see, I see crazy. And the thing that makes human events daily a little different is that I see crazy and I want to poke it with a stick. I want to learn how this this person ticks. I want to learn what makes her tick. I want to learn her thoughts. I want to learn why do you think that way, right? What is your actual ideology? Because nobody actually thinks they're crazy, right? Even when I was at Guantanamo, uh, you talk to the detainees, everything that they say makes logical sense to them. Everything that they said about what they did and why they did it and why they joined the Taliban and why they joined Al Qaeda, it, it follows a logic pattern to them. And if you can understand that pattern, then you can understand how your adversary thinks. And then you can understand how your adversary plans. And, if, and hopefully you could understand what your adversary is going to do next. But in order to do that, you have to understand them. You have to understand their mindset. And so, you know, you, when, when we were at Guantanamo, it was incumbent. It was our job to understand when you're doing counterterrorism work. OK, you have to understand what the radical Islamic mindset is, even though, of course, you're never allowed to say that, right? You're not even even at Guantanamo Bay, we weren't allowed to say radical Islam, even though that's that's obvious what we were dealing with. And so me and some of the other guys who understood that um, guys who are you know, still in the IC that I talked to today, would we would kind of sit back and hold our own meetings after the first meeting and say, OK, here's what's really going on. But then, you know, when the boss is around, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to say radical Islamic terrorism, uh, you know, not not like your direct boss, but like your your higher, higher boss. Um, but with this one, I want to understand why do you actually believe these things, especially when you come from a country that is clearly one of the most authoritarian countries on the face of the planet that your father works for. And, and by the way, do you think there's daddy issues involved here? There's definitely daddy issues on here. Producers pull up her relationship with her father, if you will. Let's take a look at that because there's obviously some daddy issues going on here. She wishes maybe her dad didn't join the Red Guards. Maybe the Red Guards weren't weren't good enough for him. Maybe. And you look at some of these situations, right? The Red Guards, how even Mao, how did Mao deal with the Red Guards after the Chinese uh, radicalized the youth so much? 
They had to send in the military to round them all up and, and disarm them and send them all to the countryside. The Red Army had to come in because these people had gotten so crazy. And so we've got a situation here where it's actually kind of backfired on them because a member of Antifa has actually become the thing that they were trying to stop because they came to the United States. And then, of course, we have to ask ourselves as Americans. And, and, and you know, look at this, guys. Go to the Post Millennial. You can see all this. This guy is just CCP Pharma all the way back for since the 1980s. Figures in a lot of pots. But we also have to understand what's going on in our country. The remnants of the 2020 color revolution are still being felt today. The radicalization forces that were unleashed by the highest levels of our government, of, our, of the regime, of our hierarchy, of our establishment are still there. These forces are still there and they can be called upon whenever they're needed, as we saw this week in Atlanta. So the greater question for us is, what is it about our society today that produces a massive uptick in groups like Antifa? Why do they hate our country so much? And why have they been taught to hate traditional American values? And that's what we stand for. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.